0: of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country,
1: and I'm proud to call it home. This is my country, and
0: I'll never stand alone. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Corday. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. The now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Courtney.
1: You know, as a businesswoman rather than a politician, I like to look at things on the basis of cost-benefit. And if you look at the constitutional system under which we, um, this republic, uh, is managed, um, one would say, you know, look, the, the founding fathers intended that Article One, be, uh, the Article One is Article One for a reason that they wanted to put in the hands of the legislators, um, the majority of the power, because those people represent. The people um, now, all the gerrymandering, all of that um, has a consideration on how on how representative the representatives are, and remember that under the until the seventeenth amendment to the constitution um, in the twentieth century or early twenty late nineteenth century, um, we had. Um, uh, the election of senators was done by the state legislatures so in fact the house represented the people and the and the states were represented by the senate and the purpose you know modeled on the house of commons and the house of lords um the intention was that the most immediate closest to the people would be congress and that's why things like spending bills must be initiated in the House um, and, and then you know ratified by the Senate. Um, and the Senate is supposed to be the cooling saucer. But the Senate has become the place that all legislation goes to die. Because what's happening is we have a power dynamic um, argument rather than that looks inward, that looks at Congress – rather than looking at what's good for you and me. And so I, I sometimes refer to Congress as the most expensive debating society in the world, in the history of the world, rather than an effective legislative body. And it seems um, a little scary at, at this point to me that a number of conservative or what we call very conservative Um, Republicans uh, believe that Congress ought to be done away with entirely. Um, Yeah, let that one sink in for just a second. 52% of that segment of the Republican Party today say it would be better if the U.S. president didn't have to be constrained by Congress in terms of what they do. That is up from 26% in March of last year. Now, that runs counter, um, in fact, uh, diametrically opposed to what moderate Republicans, uh, moderate Democrats, and extremely liberal Democrats think. All of them think that Congress should have more power and not less than it does today. Um, And I'm one of those moderate um, centrists who believes that Congress ought to be doing its job. I'm a big proponent of no budget, no pay. Except I want to include all the cabinet officers and the president in that too, because they have a role to play. But that's a conversation for a different day the point of this particular podcast is that we've had a 26% swing among the most self among the self-styled most conservative republicans in one year on the matter of presidential power and you know what makes that really worrisome Is that those are the people who will vote in GOP primaries? I'm going to take you back to 2016 for just a second here and remind you that 13% of registered Republicans nominated Donald Trump in 2016 and 13% of registered Democrats nominated. Hillary Clinton. So 26% of 50% of the registered voters in this country because the biggest party in the United States is independent-slash-declined-to-state, okay, who didn't vote in these primaries, okay? So I want to remind you of the seriousness with which these people who believe Congress should be eliminated, as the most expensive debating society the world has ever known, um, are the people most likely to vote in Republican primaries next year. Oh, I mean, in the states where primaries are actually going to be held, I mean, Georgia became the eighth state to say that their – Republican Party has decided to cancel all of their primary election for next year. Um, but thinking about that percentage, those those most likely voters, okay, who are probably if you take all the numbers together, eight, seven or eight percent of the total voters in the United States, um. It does help you to, help to explain the reluctance of GOP centers, senators to tackle the subject of impeachment of the current president. And that's a, you know, that's a serious consideration. It, it's a huge constraint, um, which means that it may be the Supreme Court that decides this. Uh, Professor Carlin, uh, Stanford professor, actually quoted uh, a Kavanaugh decision um, when he was on the circuit court, um, on the Second Circuit in Washington, D.C., in her testimony about the constitutionality of impeachment. She actually did quote a Kavanaugh decision on the limitations of um, presidential uh, power in terms of uh, the expansive power of Congress to in to investigate um, and in a way supervise the work of the executive branch, uh, and that that she pointed out that his opinion when it went to the Supreme Court the Supreme Court did not hear the case, thus making that decision the law of the land. That is not the first time that brett kavanaugh um rule you know argued for um, uh, limitations on the president's ability to um, exert executive privilege over um, congressional needs for um, t- for documents and testimony. That is, he also wrote that portion uh, of the Star Report. So he's been consistent. Um, but again, Kavanaugh is a subject for another day. I think know, in many ways, he got a really raw deal um, in this, and Democrats should pay a price for that. Uh, he was a well-qualified um, constitutional scholar uh, when he went up, up for the court. Um, and in fact, um, 95% of the time, his decisions were the—he and Garland voted the same way on the circuit court. Um, and and so, you know, he was just the wrong guy in the wrong Place at the wrong time, and history will um, have an impact. That will have an impact on history. Um, but that's not the subject this morning. Again, that's a subject for another day. You know, math is a funny, funny thing. And if the GOP were smart, they would begin to pay attention to it. Because while we've said that. 52% of the most conservative, not, not the so-called moderate or establishment Republicans, uh, 75% of whom think that Congress should have more power, um, that 52% are the guys most li- and gals most likely to vote in primary elections. Primary elections just determine who is going to be the nominee of the party They don't determine who's going to win that seat. And when you look at the current national registration numbers, according to Gallup, 38% are independent, 31% are Democrats, and 29% are Republicans. And so when you let this tiny minority, this 13% of people who voted in a primary— determine who the candidate is going to be, you are setting up some really potential disasters at the general election ballot box. And and it is a, a source of continuing amazement to me that the GOP is having so much trouble understanding that math. So let's take a moment and go through it just a very simple example of what happens as the population grows and the numbers remain static and what that disadvantage that puts the GOP at if it doesn't make changes to the way it operates. So if we use 100 as a base number and we take the Gallup numbers, we have 38 Independents, 31 Democrats and 29 Republicans. Okay, well, who's going to win? I mean, if you just take the independents out, the Democrats already have an advantage. If If you assume that that independent vote is going to be split relatively equally, the Democrats still have an advantage. But then when you increase the number of total voters, you know, to 200, you have 76 independents, 20, uh, 62 Democrats, and 58 Republicans. So you see the Delta doubled just in that simple illustration. And so when you look at the GOP as it currently is configured as predominantly white, older, Less urban and less educated. Now, those numbers refer; I mean, those characteristics are more typical of this small minority. This fifty-two percent of of you know these these very conservative folk. All right, it, it's not as typical of the of the urban or more establishment Republicans, but. Um, but Republicans as a group are, are aging. Um, they are, um, and, and they are increasingly white in a society where again, California is gonna lead the parade where whites will, where, where we will be a majority minority state um, in this coming decade. We're pretty close right now. And that's the way this country is moving. So, if you're going to be politically effective, you cannot let the most extreme among your mids determine your future. So that all of that, all of that leads me to agree with Republican strategist and the author of Everything Trump Dutch- Touches Dies, uh, Rick Wilson, who said this week there there is an appetite for a constructive free market personal responsibility, strong national security, political entity in this country, but not necessarily the Republican Party as we define it today. And we're going to test Rick's theory next year in Colorado, in Arizona, in Iowa, in Maine, in North Carolina, and in Alabama. Because those are the Senate seats that are most likely to flip from Republican to Democratic. And this impeachment, if it reaches the Senate, those are the decision points right there. Because they have to choose between what objectively the evidence was going to tell them, okay, and, and I'm not prejudging that. I don't know. I'm just saying here's the situation, that if they are held hostage by the most conservative elements, the people who really would like them not to exist, right, um, then they, they're paralyzed in terms of their ability to act um on on logic reason etc um in that senate trial which we expect will happen but if they do that they risk you know if they risk if they if they if they vote not their conscience but their party they risk the the possible the probability that those seats flip to Democratic seats and with it goes the Senate majority um, and that is and and, and that is um, the point of serious peril um, in in the what faces what what faces this country, um, and why I'm so skeptical about the whole um, impeachment process. Because if you're one of those folks who wants to free Congress of the constitutional power of investigation and oversight, if you're one of those people who wants this um, strong, unitary president who is accountable to no one, okay? I want you to consider the possibility that you could get a Democrat with the same sense of privilege rather than service in the White House. I want you to consider the possibility that you could end up with someone like Elizabeth Warren in the White House with her Sharpie and think about what that would do to the country if we, if we put the most at-risk senators into a primary stra- straitjacket at this important moment of decision for us as a nation. Just think about how you would feel about diminishing the executive power of Congress— in the face of a next generation Democrat in the White House before you put a straitjacket on the United States Senate as it is currently configured. And we'll be back soon with another edition of the Reimagine America podcast.
0: Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. Donate. Tell others and sign up to receive future podcasts that's reimagineamerica.org and join us again next week for reimagine america this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suite radio.com